Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to episode three of the Amplify podcast with us here at Project Zazzy. My name is Lewis, and I am the host of these episodes. And today, I'm really, really excited to be joined by Harvey Watt. Um, you know, I'm not. I don't like to introduce guests, but you'll, you'll get to hear a little bit about Harvey. You know, um, once this episode starts, and once we kind of get into the 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 topics that we're going to be covering. But before we begin this episode, you know what I'm going to ask you at this point. Have you checked out Black Bristol yet? If you haven't checked out Black Bristol, make sure you do. You're on the website right now. So after you've listened to this episode, after you're done getting involved with some, you know, really important discussions, head over to our timeline and check out some of Bristol's most important history and, you know, history that often doesn't get discussed within the mainstream education system. Cool. Let's jump into this episode right away. So Harvey, you know, I don't want to like introduce guests because sometimes it can be, you know, oh, you missed something out or I wouldn't quite say that about myself. So would you mind just introducing yourself to the people? Yeah, sure. So hi guys, my name is Harvey Watt. Um, I am Bristol born and bred. Mm. Um, I am of dual heritage. I am half black, half white. My father is black, Jamaican and British. Mm. And my mother is white and British as well. And um, I'm 21 years old. Um, I like to do a bit of poetry. Mm. Um, I've, I've been focusing on rights for black people like uh, since the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. But it's something that's always always been in my heart as a black person and experiencing racism within Bristol has kind of naturally pushed me towards being aware of racism and the part it plays in all of our lives. Mm, absolutely, man. Thank you for introducing yourself. Um, and we'll get into those things that you've you've spoken about when you kind of introduced yourself there um, throughout the episode. But to kind of start off the episodes, what we like to do here at Amplify is kind of ask you a question, and it's what does Bristol mean to you? Um, so you don't have to, it can be a deep one, it can just be a couple of words, it can be whatever it is, but what does Bristol mean to you, if I if I was to ask you that, you know? Bristol for me is such a, it's such a complicated thing, it's like, um, it really is like a love-hate relationship, mm. and by that I mean growing up, I was absolutely in love with Bristol. Mm. Um, I was in love with the diversity of people, not just within races, but also uh, sexualities and genders Mm. and just so many colourful people, a lot of art, street art, um, a lot of art spaces and what seemed like well-rounded, open-minded people. But these days it's a bit confusing because I think also... When I had that love for Bristol, it was like I had no idea about the colonialism. Mm. And I actually remember the first time someone telling me about this, I must have been like year eight, um, year eight or year seven. And I was walking back from school with someone who's a couple years older, um, Dean Clark. Mm. And he was saying to me how Bristol, Liverpool and any other like port city Mm. within uh, the UK had a really big role mm. in the slave trade mm. and that absolutely like stunned me and it also I didn't want to believe it I was like nah not Bristol mm. like not my beloved Bristol like how could that happen here you know and mm. I was I was almost wanted to deny it mm. but I knew he, wouldn't, he wasn't lying about it and um, yeah I think the more the more I looked into it and you learn a bit about Colston um, and John Cabot mm. Um, and you start to really feel the essence 
essence of what this city is built upon mm. and who sort of founded it and what kind of put Bristol on the map initially, mm. you know. Um, so I find that a very, very difficult pill to swallow. I find that really, really difficult to get on with. And that's something that always is always in my mind when people talk about how much they love Bristol or how great Bristol is. That's something I can't shake. Mm. That's something, I think because it hasn't been acknowledged properly yet. Fact. We're just starting to kind of acknowledge it a bit. And I think up until now, it was really like swept under the carpet. And um, we're sort of looking at Bristol with like these rose-tinted glasses. And even still, when we say like diverse as well, it's like, even when I said that, I was thinking like, mm, is it really that diverse though? Like, of course there is multiculturalism here, but it's nothing like London. You know, we, we do have a couple of different um, central communities. Obviously you've got a big uh, Caribbean community, um, got a big Somali community, a big Pakistani Indian community, mm-hmm. and then I'd say there's a small number of um, Eastern European, particularly Polish. But it doesn't really get that diverse in terms of like you know Eastern Europe. We don't have like loads of Albanians and or Russians or Kosovans, etc. But mm-hmm. you get you might find in like London and things like that. So I don't think it is as diverse as we want to believe it is. Mm. Um, definitely more diverse than a lot of places. Mm. Like you know, probably the most diverse in the southwest, for example. Mm. Um, but I think it's not as much of a rainbow as we paint it to be. Mm. But it is definitely, yeah, like I said, it's better than a lot of places. Um, but yeah, I do, I do still enjoy how artistic Bristol is. Um, mm. I like looking at the street art and graffiti. Um, it's always had a great music scene, um, great food scene. And I think um, being of Jamaican heritage, mm. like the Jamaican influences in Bristol is something I take a lot of pride in as well mm-hmm. um, and also like my, my grandfather was a, a plasterer mm-hmm. a Jamaican plasterer and then I found out but like Jamaican plasterers were like huge in in the construction of Bristol and Bristol mm-hmm. houses and all this stuff and it was a big part of, of literally building this city so that's something I take a lot of pride in mm-hmm. as well so then I do yeah so I do still have some love for Bristol um, but for me I try and focus on the modern individuals that make it what it is today, people like you, people like Lawrence Who, Cleo Lake, you know, those those people. This is kind of the same with how I try and view Britain. Like, I struggle to have British pride. But then I try and think, all right, but who really does make up this country? And when we're told we're the minority, who really puts this country on the map in terms of, like, culture music food all of those things you know it's not it's not the racists the edls and the politicians that make this country a great place to live it really isn't them in fact they make it the opposite of that mm. and they the reasons some of us struggle with british identity but i try and i try and focus on the good individuals and people i can relate to but give me pride mm. That's, that's beautiful, man. Thank you as well for kind of, you know, um, you know, mentioning some some really, you know, influential names there. So shout out Lawrence, shout out Cleo. Um, uh, I think, yeah, that's a really like reflective and, and insightful, ins- you know, insight into into your Bristol. And that kind of leads me on to something that I think is really interesting to maybe pick up in this conversation is like, one thing that, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe listen to you for the first time don't, don't necessarily recognise is you're out on 
you know, in the protest, activism, active, <laughs> activisting it up. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know if that's a word, but I think that's a great word to kind of uh, define what it is that, that you do. You're always there. You're always speaking. You're always vocal about, you know, the things that are important to you, right? And, and the things that are important to the community. So for me, I think it's really useful to unpack that a little bit because I think for any activist out there, any person that aligns themselves with activism and, and would say that what they do is activism, there's always a switch, right? There's always something that you see or something that you engage with that makes you go, hold on a second, blood, like, that's not right. I need to do something about that or this doesn't sit right with me. It changes your life literally. So it might be, you know, useful to go through your journey a little bit and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are currently and, you know, some of the things that you kind of learned along the way, if that's cool with you. Yeah, so I'd say um, I've always had an interest within um, black history mm-hmm. and black civil rights. Um, I'd say that was mainly started in about year 10 mm-hmm. when I was uh, learning about, about uh, the black civil rights movement mm-hmm. in GCSE history. And then um, what was interesting, actually, was the following year we were, we were covering the civil rights movement in the black civil rights movement in the UK um, during the same time around, like, you know, 60s and 70s, when we had the first um, the first black immigrants, probably the first immigrants coming into the UK, actually, uh, the Windrush generation being invited to come here and work and live. And um, but it's weird, I had no interest in that at all back then. Mm. Um, which is a shame. I wish I could go back and learn more about that because I feel like there is so much focus on the American civil rights movement and not so much on the British civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, following on from that, um, a couple of years ago, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, a black actor, did a remake of uh, the film Roots. Mm. And I'd never actually seen the original Roots, but um, in this remake, it follows, I'd say, like almost every stage or at least different stages of different generations living within slavery mm. um, had to go through. So the story starts in West Africa, I mm. think possibly Nigeria, obviously back then would not have been called Nigeria, mm. back then would just a tribal state, mm-hmm. um, a, sm- a smaller scale. Um, and it, within this tribe is following a man called Kunt Kente, who's going on his uh, journey through to be his rite of passage uh, to becoming a man slash becoming a warrior. Um, and he just finished all his trials and he is now a warrior adult member of this, of his tribe, his village. And um, he is just caught up in the, this sort of the, uh, the war with the, with the no, uh, local, uh, na- uh, sorry, another neighboring tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, who have been given guns and resources by the British to capture uh, fellow Africans uh, to be sent into slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, Kuntikente is captured. He's taken on a ship, slave ship to, uh, I think it's Virginia in America, um, to work on a plantation. And he is put in the field, um, you know, doing backbreaking labor with alongside many other men and women. Um, and he... They give him a new name. I can't remember what they want to call him. Some English American name, um, and he refu- oh Toby. They wanted to call him Toby, mm. and he rejects this name and he says no. My name is Kunta Kente, and so the slave 
well, well, not slave master, but um, a white Irish man working on the plantation makes a um, example of him and ties him to a post in front of all the other slaves and whips him until he says his name is Toby. Um, he doesn't give in for a long time and his back is in tatters before he eventually says, my name is Toby and is defeated in that scenario. Um, he meets someone whilst working on the plantation and he raises a daughter. Um, she gets to a certain age and she tries to escape. She's then brought back and then sold onto another plantation to another um, slave master. Um, she grows to be a bit older and then she is then um, raped and impregnated by her white slave owner master. Um, and, and then to, she, can, she uh, gives birth to a mixed race baby. Um, and this baby is like um, sort of hidden away from the rest of them. Um, he's sort of sheltered away inside the house. He's given lighter slave duties within the house. Um, and he is the father, the slave owner father is not, uh, he's sort of ashamed um, but he has a mixed race baby, but you can set, you can sort of sense that he has still has some kind of love for his child, um, and then he sort of takes a shine to him, and he becomes his sort of right hand man, if you will. And as he grows up, he um, becomes almost like a business part partner. As this slave owner has a bit of a gambling problem, a uh, drinking problem, and together they go around America uh, doing cockfighting and. He is like the trainer. Um, his son is the trainer of the, of the cock and gets him to fight for them. And he becomes, he's a bit of a showman as well. And he becomes known as Chicken George. His name was George. And he becomes known as Chicken George. And then he eventually um, builds up enough um, money and status in order to be almost emancipated from his father. Um, as slavery wasn't abolished at this point, but he was sort of, you could almost buy your freedom mm. at times. And um, he is actually sent to England to be a sort of performer slash cockfighter for um, a member of the royal family, I believe it is, or at least just a very high ranking person within British society at that time. So he starts a new life living in London um, and he is again, like I said, a performer, a sort of a high-paid slave, if you will, as there isn't really loads of slaves in Britain at that time, and if it was there, or um, at least it was less less known about. Um, and then around the same time in America, um, the Civil War starts up, and he actually goes back to America, and he joins the army, and he's fighting as a soldier, um, you know, for the North against the South, against the Confederate Army. And um, it, at that point, it's also interesting. It highlights the sort of relationship between the white soldiers and the black soldiers, both fighting for the North. Mm. You know, you'd think, oh, the, the white people fighting for the North, fighting to end slavery, etc., mm. um, would have a level of respect and show some dignity towards their fellow black soldiers. But that wasn't the case, and they were still calling them by the N-word, um, mm. etc., and treating them in a not too dissimilar way to what the South would probably treat them, you know, without the violence and murdering. 
Um, so I think that was a really interesting um, adaptation of the mm. film because mm. it sort of it really opened my eyes to the different ways in which slavery affected different generations and how mm. it moved through time. And that, um, and also just the sort of glimpse into Africa that it gave at the start that really inspired me to look into it mm. um, because they spoke because actually while Quinta Kente was still in the village, he had a moment with his father where he said, Dad, I don't want to be a warrior. I actually want to move to Timbuktu and study at the university there. Mm. And I remember stopping and thinking, wow, they had a university mm. in, uh, in Africa? Mm. At this point, I thought they were all living in mud huts and mm. chucking spears at each other. We said, That's what I was taught. That's what I've been told my whole life. That's what I've been shown images of. Mm-hmm. And I also thought to myself, Timbuktu is a real place. Because mm. I thought that was just that place people would always say, oh, I'll knock you into Timbuktu or mm. whatever, and just this sort of comical name that people were sort of, yeah, mocked, really. And when I found out that it was actually like one of, if not the first university in the world and one of the greatest, and that came out of Mali, uh, Timbuktu in Mali. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really really inspired me to actually look into African history and not just the history we've been taught about slavery and all this stuff and sort of dig a bit deeper, look into the kingdoms of Africa and societies, the universities, the religions, all of those things and kind of delve into that a little bit. Mm. And then, um, yeah, i say that's where it sort of kicked off my interest in sort of realising that I've been lied to. You know, I feel like growing up black and British is like being told a story of your origin and you're expected to accept it, to Mm. keep you trapped in that box and think I was a slave, things have gotten better, things have improved a lot, so I should be happy Mm. and just kind of do my low paid job with little respect. Mm. When in reality... If you know your history, you know your lineage, and you came from kings and queens and pharaohs, mm. and that is that is our history. You know, mm. we had the first university, we had developed some of the first medicines, um, some of the greatest astrology, uh, astronomy, sorry, um, in the world. That we, you know, we uh, Greeks and Romans are held as like the highest, but mm. then we were doing everything they were doing, but like years, hundreds of years before them when they were still like working out how to wash each other sure, you know? Egypt, we were looking man. up to the stars mm. you know yeah. we don't get any credit for that no quick I want to shout ancient Egypt for that one you know what I'm saying bad yeah, man shout team. Out <laughs> <laughs> um, I think yeah and I think with that with that you know what, what you've spoken about there I think just listening to you talk I think stories were a major part in your kind of like switch right is I think as human beings, uh, we learn through stories and we know of ourselves through stories. We're taught about who we are by the stuff that we kind of engage with. And I think, you know, I think in your case, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like that switch was understanding the difference between the story that you'd been taught and then that interest in sort of the story that actually exists out there to be discovered and it was that discovery process of almost you know you know we talk about exploring new worlds but I I often you know think of this journey of learning African history 
ancient Caribbean history is like discovering a world that just I never knew existed at one point. Yeah. And then once you get to it, you're kind of like, you know, talk about the likes of Columbus discovering islands, but it's almost like us now rediscovering ourselves and kind of yeah. actually going back to, like you said, you know, but no pun intended, but the roots of our existence. And I feel like in Britain in particular, um, and most Western countries with Western civilizations and Western ideas of thought, there's this taken from Africa or there's this taken from the Caribbean and then there's the remixing of it and then there's the teaching it as if it was your own ideas and then almost taking away the credit from, you know, those civilizations that you've, you've, you've taken from. So that deliberate, like, removal of truth, right? So yeah. I definitely empathise and, and, and not empathise, I suppose, is, is not quite the word, but I definitely resonate with what you're saying about, you know, the journey into that and kind of, you know, finding yourself again through the history, um, you know, just, you know, for the sake of time and, and just to make sure I'm asking you the questions I want to, because I've got loads of questions for you. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like when it came to discovering yourself that there was this sense of pride? And, and let me, let me, let me explain this a, a little bit, right? Because we're both dual heritage, right? We're both, you know, British and we both have Caribbean um, roots, right? And for me, I was never quite sure of my Caribbean roots until I went back and explored that history. And once I understood the context of that, wait, my ancestors weren't colonised. They were the last people to be colonised out of the whole Caribbean. They fought for their lives. They defended that land because it was theirs. They didn't go down without a fight. Their their history, you know, is important to the island that I, you know, attach myself and my family to. Once I understood that and I understood Britain or Western countries in the context of that, there was this pride that was just, it's almost like inexplainable in a sense where you just feel like this is like who I am. Like I don't feel like the, 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 you know, just saying I'm British does my history justice. Like bringing that into the into the forefront makes me feel like yeah this is who I am now do you have any of that you know at any point yeah I think um like I have a big amount of Jamaican pride in the last probably the last like six seven months you know mm, the last eight yeah, months yeah. or so mm-hmm. you know it's all very new I think um being growing up in Britain, you you want to assimilate so. But even if you're born in Britain, you mm. want to assimilate so much, don't you? Like yeah. I think you can tell by the way you know you and me speak and the way we act and hold ourselves mm. because we want to be respected within these communities, within the white community, within the British community, mm. and we have to be a certain way to do that. We can't always be. Um, stereotypically black or unapologetically black and love ourselves in that way so I think for me that was like being British in Caribbean it was like you know you got a sort of when you're with your family or your friends you can you're allowed to love being Caribbean and mm-hmm. sort of let that show yeah. but when you're in school and education and the workplace you're supposed to be British you've got to be British you've got to uphold British values mm. um, and that can be quite conflicting when you, like you said, you look at the history of Western Europe 
and just the West within the Caribbean, you know, it's, it's horrible. And it's, it's almost a difficult mix to have, really. It's like mm. two sides of a war inside yeah. of you, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, it can feel really, really, like, divisive um, within myself and, like, really confusing at times. And I used to be very proud. I used to literally be like, yeah, I love England. I'm proud to be English and mm. British and all that stuff. Yeah. Like I said, now it's a bit... It's a bit tricky, mm, and I feel a lot of like patriotism and pride towards the Caribbean, Jamaica, and West Africa, and well, whole of Africa. But at the same time, it's it's like I've not even been there. You know, I've not been to Jamaica. I've not been to the Caribbean, and you. I've spent my whole life in this country. Mm. But I don't feel connected to this country. Yeah, and it's really, really confusing at times, and just a bit like kind of just disappointing you know yeah i want to i don't feel like connected and i want to i want to feel connected to something i feel like a lot of people get to get to be feel connected to their roots and yeah. feel connected to where they're from mm-hmm. and feel a sense of pride yeah in their nationality but i don't know i, I struggle with that <laughs> no I, I appreciate you sharing that like from from like a personal point and also for the listeners too right because I feel exactly the same I feel like until my my barefoot dry toes touch the the the, the land of of Waitu, I can't I, I'm not connected I'm connected to the history I'm connected to my people I'm connected to my family but until my toes touch that soil and I actually connect with that land that's when everything I'll probably cry but I'm getting emotional thinking yeah, about it no, now for real. I'll probably start bawling out my eyeballs because yeah. like I yeah. it's I yeah because it's when you get the history of it and the the ancestry that flows through through me through you when you step on that it's not just oh I'm you know Lewis or Harvey stepping on that soil it's this is generations worth of history and identity and I've made it back to where I, where I where you know if if globalization wasn't a thing if colonialism wasn't a thing you know maybe i would probably just be here you know you know what i'm saying like it's just yeah. it's, it's crazy um it's full circle isn't it yeah exactly and i, I you know I, i'm i really am trying to get back soon um yeah. like i follow all the pages i'm like yeah i've got other like um i'm looking at all that the the Sufre, um swim clubs and i'm just thinking i just need to get back but you know it's just yeah. oh, i say get back and obviously i mean from a case of uh, ancestry not i've never been but i i want to um so thank you like for sharing that and i think i think a lot of people listening to that in particular will be like 100 feel that in my bones and i think it's really important that that's brought up in the conversation so again i really appreciate that man i think you know to 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 finish this and and kind of give some perspective and bring it full circle back again we've spoken about bristol and we've spoken about you know uh the complex often uncomfortable history of colonialism the on one hand being this diverse place on the other hand not being so diverse you know bristol has some of the poorest neighborhoods in the UK and also some of the richest neighborhoods in the UK. Um, you know, it's a very deeply divided, economically divided um, city as well, right? Um, so my question to you to kind of finish this off would be like, what would you think, or what would, what do you think that Bristol needs to do uh, to improve itself and, uh, you know, have, and, and make those necessary steps forward and, and kind of, what are your plans in and amongst that, if you have any? 
Mm. I think the first step into a better, more, um, less segregated Bristol mm-hmm. is really acknowledging, um, being honest and making those changes based on the history that we are slowly becoming aware of mm-hmm. within Bristol. Um, I think we need to really overstand what Bristol was like before mm-hmm. um, and how it has got to where it is now. So with that, I mean, like, you know, um, we need to really be open and honest about our connection to slavery and colonialism. Um, and we need to really, really, really condemn it. Mm-hmm. Not just sweep it away and forget about it. Really openly talk about it and be like, no, this is really wrong. Um, I think the council really needs to step up in that regard as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out a man like Marvin Reese, you got to step up, bro. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like we're not really seeing proper condemnation from the authority, fi- authority figures that we want to see. Um, I think that was evident in the, um, there was a council meeting mm. and uh, Councillor Cleo Lake put forward um, the notion that um, to discuss uh, reparations um, within Bristol mm. for the slave trade and our role in slavery. Mm. Um, and this was put as the, the silver the silver notion, the gold notion, the first notion, the priority of that meeting was discussing the closure of a swimming pool. Mm. And that was the priority over talking about reparations for slavery mm-hmm. and in fact the swimming pool was so important they ran out of time before they could even talk about um uh, reparations of slavery and the, all the councillors all the members of labor well, the councillors that were present from labor from green from lib dems and from the conservative parties within bristol only green party said they were willing to extend the meeting to discuss reparations labor didn't want to do it Lib Dems didn't want to do it, and Conservatives did not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's the first step, is acknowledging it, and also the council taking the correct steps to um, making some changes there. Um, I think, secondly, it's also um, we need to see support and um, solidarity with protecting our spaces. I know you spoke about it in the podcast with... Um, Manera, but mm. like gentrification in Bristol yeah. is like a disease yeah. that is spreading across Bristol and like you know um, I feel like what we're saying about the economic segregation is becoming more and more obvious when we look at there's places in St Paul's Eastern Greenbank where you'll see some like brand spanking new new builds mm. that looking like like they should, they belong in Hotwells and Clifton and all those places, but they're in the inner city parts of Bristol, yeah. you know, in the poorest communities, mm-hmm. and we're seeing those communities getting driven out. So I feel like people need to wake up to what's going on, need to really see that. Um, but oh yeah, so back to the council, we need to look at what the council are doing as well mm-hmm. with um, selling off our important spaces like the Rastafari Centre. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a cultural hub for mm-hmm. Black and Afro Caribbean. Bristolians yep. has been for well over 20 years mm-hmm. and that's being sold off by the council 
Um, so that's like a dagger through the heart of inner city Bristol and mm. a dagger through the heart of black Bristol, basically. 100%. So we need to be aware of these things. Um, again, Clifton and all of those places, we need to be aware of generational wealth that sits in those hills, where it came from, mm. um, how it's been maintained. We need to look at those things, I think, in order to move forward. And just, yeah, we just really need to be open and honest about our history because mm. it's a shared history that we have mm. so we need to recognize the atrocities talk about that but we also need to move to move it forward as well we need to credit and recognize the heroes of this city from the african and caribbean community the asian community mm-hmm. people that have made you know the muslim community the people that have made bristol worth living in mm. that have brought so much tourism vibrancy mm. um all of these things that's what people come to see they, they they come to see stokes croft and gloucester road and all of these places okay they come to see st paul's carnival yeah you know what i mean they come they come to see these things that's what really puts bristol on the map mm-hmm. and it's the reason people actually want to come down here mm-hmm. to the southwest because we're the biggest city in the southwest we're the most important the most colorful the most vibrant and we need to own that and also to, yeah in order to take some pride in it we've got a really look at our ugly history mm. but to move it forward we must celebrate those who have overcome that and who have beaten that mm. and yeah just be aware of the horrible things that the council tries to do and just like the modern day colonialism that we can see mm. on our streets mm. you know, we need to really be aware of that work together but yeah just open your eyes and open your ears mm. and that's the only way we can really protect this city mm. and move it forward at the same time mm. keep it modern Dude, that's such a like beautiful way to end this, and it really does provide some some like food for thought for the listeners who will be tuning into this. And kind of, you know, if you're listening to this and you didn't know about some of the things that we're talking about, if you weren't aware of some of the things that are going on, you know, like Harvey says, just take a bit of time. You know, it, it doesn't have to be something like Black Bush thought. It can just be going into the communities and talking to the individuals that live there, that have their, you know, their, their, their spaces often, you know, taken from them violently, you know, because as Manira said in, you know, episode one of this, the, the process of gentrification in particular is violent. You're taking someone's home from them. You're taking their culture away from them and you're building something in its place. It's a violent act yeah. as a, you know, uh, someone getting uh, physically assaulted, beaten up. It, it's the, it's the, it's a cultural assault. So, dude, like, honestly, man, like, this has been such a, a a wholesome conversation. It's been, like, really nice to listen to you and listen to the way you've kind of come to be as you are right now. And I've got no doubt that as we progress through the months, through the years, and we have more conversations like this on this podcast in a different space, wherever it is, there's going to be more uh, ideas and things to share with, with, with people. So thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And um, I will no doubt speak to you in a future episode as well. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And no. thank you also for all the work you're putting in. As always, brother, really appreciate you, man. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And I appreciate you as well, Harvey, man. You know what it is. It's always love, my bro. And I appreciate you taking the time to come and sit and chat to me and chat to the people of Amplify and Project Zazzy and the listeners, which I think, you know, will have something to apply not only to their own life, but to the conversations that they have with those nearest and dearest to them. So thank you again, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And I speak on behalf of Zazzy as well.
Just before we go, you know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to shout out another business here in Bristol that are doing some amazing things. And today, this one was requested by Harvey himself, and it is Mama Peas. If you haven't checked out Mama Peas, please do yourself a favor and get down and try that food, man. I'm always driving past this place, and I've got to be honest, I nearly parked up the car, went in there and bought out a whole shop. You know them ones when you're on a rush, you're in a rush, you're going through you know places, and you just smell the food and you're like hold on a second fam where is that coming from i need that in my life right now this is mama peas for you if you follow harvey personally you'll know that he's always posting mama peas food up and every time he posts it i get a little bit emotional because i'm like that should be here with me yeah that should be here with me right now but instead it's harvey that's enjoying the the, the beautiful flavors and food so if you haven't checked out mama peas and you're local to fish ponds make sure you check it out we've posted um them up in the description of this podcast check them out support local black businesses guys and yeah we will see you in a future episode take it easy love light and guidance always and i'll see you soon